Welcome everyone to the Price Law Podcast. It is October 27th, and I'm super excited to be talking with Brent Laffey today from Armada Nutrition. Uh, Mike, our uh, CEO and founder is here, and my name is Ben Kane. Brent, thank you so much for being on today. No, I appreciate it. I always love getting on with you guys. Yeah, actually, the last time we did this was under less fortunate circumstances with the ABH indictment, uh, which yeah. actually, actually probably worked out well for you guys. But I think we talked a decent about Armada that day, but we didn't really talk about who you guys are. And I figured... Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to launch on Monday, which is actually the day that I'll be in Utah with you at your Salt Lake City new opening, uh, which we're, we're really excited about. But I figure what a better time to bring you on and talk about Armada as a whole and how you got to where you are. So I'd love to start off with a little bit of background on, on you, Brent, because I, I don't think we've really covered who you are and how you got here. Yeah, no, um, not that exciting, but uh, um family background history in the food business. So um, literally from like kid being at dinner table all my parents talked about was they were more on the food side of the business than nutrition and obviously started navigating more towards the nutrition business but always in this uh industry so when i went to actually college um i was very intrigued by it i did a couple internships working for different chemical companies food ingredient companies um, which is super boring and nobody in college knew what i was talking about but um you just saw the b2b side and obviously you know when you're looking at um different areas and it's like everybody's got to eat right so that's one thing that's always stable um even during recessions it may shift what people do but that's there so from college i knew i wanted to some degree get into the food business see my family be successful at it had interest in it found it fascinating um i started navigating towards more nutrition i played college football um during that four years really started actually uh you know, focusing on food and intake and dialing it in. And then, uh, yeah, two things. I uh, went to get an economics degree and then wanted to look at the dietitian side. So kind of run those parallel and, um, yeah, got out of school and, um, I was lucky enough, uh, through network to find a couple of different opportunities. And I had two really good options. One's a multi, multi-billion dollar German company that I was going to go to work for and basically do a, uh, uh, kind of internship program around, which would have been a great setup. Or there was this company at the time called uh, Premium Ingredients, which then became Pronova. That was a very fast-paced growing company, but still pretty small at the time. Uh, very entrepreneurial-based and chose there. So literally, uh, which I'll tell the backstory, obviously our parent company is Pronova. So I have never had a different job. So since I got out of college, I have worked for Pronova, then obviously branched off and started Armada. Um, but yeah, so worked for Pronova for many years, did buying on raw materials, did sales, did formulation, did product development, ended up running our nutrition division, which was the buying and selling. So we'd work with like contract manufacturers and brands. So we'd work with a brand and help flavor. If they wanted to um, understand their supply chain, we'd help them on that. You know, some of the bigger brands want to own that. So we'd help them on that. Um, and then we'd work with the co-mans. So, um, kind of got into it and then realized, okay, because of our vertical integration, buying direct, we manufacture flavors. It made sense to do it all right. Hard thing to swallow because a lot of our customers, um, were contract manufacturers, but just like we're seeing with brands and other, but everything's getting consolidated. Right. So we decided in, uh, 2015 to start Armada and, um, you know, it was, uh, I kind of went off on my own, started as an LLC and had Pronova as a partner in it, which is a great partner, um, obviously established company, vertically integrated, uh, and ingredients, flavors, all that. So we started it there in Chicago and, um, basically really weren't aspiring to be massive. We wanted to just be strategic with a few brands. And once we got out there, the story sold itself, right? Vertically integrated, all that transparent formulas, uh, quality focused, all that. So uh, within the first six months, we outgrew our facility in Illinois and um, we were in like 7,000 square feet. We had 15 employees. This is 2015. So seven years later, um, we have 700 employees and we're in 780,000 square feet. So a lot has changed in seven years, uh, but we took a huge leap and a you know, huge chance, which worked out for us. We were in this small um, space in Chicago. We were looking for maybe thousand square feet next kind of the next progression and uh you guys probably covered it a little bit but capstone which is another contract manufacturer that was really well known because they had pr of that they partnered with muscle farm right and uh you can go and it's all public record but they ended up having a big fallout a lawsuit 
the PE company that owned Capstone had two sites, Utah, Tennessee. They decided they wanted to just like basically liquidate and get rid of the Tennessee site, even though it was only open for a year, um, 300,000 square feet. So we came down here to look at it. Honestly, it was one of those like, you know, you go into a fancy uh, watch store in Vegas, you kind of look, but don't touch. So we came down here with that philosophy and uh, they were selling as an asset. And we were, you know, we felt pretty confident about our commercial uh side of the business and how we could scale it. Uh, but man, as you know, there's a lot of overhead, so we would have to accelerate fast. But at the end of it, they told us this was April of 16. If we close the deal in time, we could hire all their employees or interview them at least. Right. So at the time they had 110 employees. If we're going to scale this business, the thing that was going to take the most was training and people. Right. So we thought about it within two, three days, we said, let's do it gave them a purchase agreement. Um, and probably in about 65 days, we transitioned, did the due diligence, did the purchase agreement, interviewed and hired 104 of the 110 people. So they were all going to lose their jobs July 1st of 16. Um, so what we did is we kept those 104 people. And then we had more of a commercial team in Chicago, purchasing flavors, you know, sales. We brought them to Tennessee started and uh that was kind of the beginning right so then we uh, every year 16 17 18 19 just the continuous you know improvement focus for efficiency um and you know we were known really for our flavors which was a huge thing we instead of just hiring a general lab tech we actually hired people inside Pronova's flavor division who were trained for flavors so when you come to work with them it wasn't just like a general lab tech who's mixing up some powders and hoping it tastes good they were actually people who went to school for food science for flavor to be a flavor is technically. So that was a huge break for us, you know, flavors King, right? So um, we got good opportunities in the beginning and, you know, people started coming to us because of our flavors and then being vertically integrated with Pernova was just kind of an add on. Right. So that story cool. went and um, yeah, then in 19 and 20, um, we basically got to a point where we're coming close to sold out. So we started the uh, second site in Utah, which leads us to today. So I got to ask, uh, when you absorb someone like Capstone, I mean, Armada is known for quality. Uh, you're known for your ability to manufacture like at scale mass for large brands. How much of their efficiency and technology, like like obviously they liquidated everything. You got their employees, mm. you got a lot of their, their manufacturing equipment. Like how much of that did you come in and change yourselves? I don't want to start anything by asking yeah. that question, but I'm, I'm curious. No, no, it's a... That's a really good question. I mean, who asked that? Um, interesting is when we bought the facility, even though it was a purchase agreement, we bought it as an NSF or GMP facility. So technically, in theory, um, you would have SOPs and everything to back, you know, to validate that, right? 25th hour, uh, I would say 25th, the 23rd hour, uh, they didn't want to give that IP to us. Mm. I think all of a sudden it uh, appeared that we were going to be a competitor bigger than they thought, right? And it definitely... Uh, through a wrench and things because we were still going to come in and do best practice and probably change some things, but to just get the plan started, got to have SOPs, right? Uh, I'm not joking. July 1st, when we came in, we had not a working computer, um, nor a SOP or even a validation in the lab. So in July of 16, we literally started every SOP from scratch, which ended up being a really good thing long-term because we took what they had, but did best practice and everything. Um, and it worked out, but man, uh, that was not fun when you're looking at a hundred and basically 110 people and you don't have a computer or an SOP. That's gotta be a big <laughs> undertaking, but having the background with Pernova, I'm sure you had a lot of network that to help with that. It was not like you were starting from nothing, but that's still probably a huge project of course. Yeah. I think it's one of those things looking back, it's like being naive was the best thing because like now knowing that I'd be like, nah, I'm not really interested in that again. But uh, yeah, we, we got through. Yeah, we did have some definitely some support in Pernova. You got to remember, um, it was the first time getting into contract manufacturing, too. So uh, it was definitely a, a new realm. So um, Armada is really known for your partnerships with really big brands. I think more than probably anyone else in the industry, uh, you guys have been transparent in what you do, how you do it. Like we've seen tons of videos in your facility, whereas mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen that much video out of any other facility in America. Was that a conscious decision for you guys to decide to be transparent and allow people into your facility to show parts of it? Or, you know, how did that really come about? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
I wouldn't say it was strategic. It was kind of one of those things that started happening, right? Our our first real customer that we partnered with day one, everyone very, you know knows them pretty well. And I honestly didn't even understand what they were doing at the time. And their CEO would, would tell you when he gave the, the business pitch, I was like, I don't get it. I don't get it, right? <laughs> I had and, that same uh, exact phone call. <laughs> yeah. response. <laughs> Yeah, and he'll he'll definitely remind me of that now. But I was being honest and open to him, right? I mean, I, I literally said what I thought, and I go, I don't get it, but I bought into them. You know, they they had a plan. They seemed extremely passionate. So, why I'm saying that is they, you know, they took social media to a, a different level, right? And then when they were coming here, I was seeing what it was doing for them, and they were being transparent. And then I was thinking on the other side, okay, like there's a story to be told for the manufacturer and they wanted to, too, because they wanted people to know that they were working with a, you know, a high class manufacturer. So then it was kind of one of those things after watching going, okay, that does make sense. We want people to know, we want to let people know it's not just a bunch of cowboys in this industry. So uh, be truthful as we kind of piggyback off that. And one of the things, you, you know, you got to be careful is who you work with, right. And who, who you want to show. So luckily being them, at someone who's very transparent, high quality. So it made a nice fit. So we kind of, I wish I could say it was a brainstorm marketing idea I had, but it was one of those things kind of learned on the go. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. I, I looked at it as kind of like a chicken in the egg is like, they were talking about you. Everyone else is kind of talking about you. Like which one kind of really kicked that off? Because from the consumer's eyes, we've never seen in the consumer's eyes, actual manufacturing out there, but we've seen past that. We've seen, I, th I think I could count probably a half a dozen other brands that have come to Armada and, and shared parts of your yeah. facility. Yeah, it's fun because I think the one thing I'm happy about is I look in here in the formulas we run and, you know, I, I could send you a gift package of the, the manufacturers we run with and they're good formulas. Pretty much everything is open label. So like once you get into that and you're working with those kind of companies, it just becomes easier. You want to promote them. They want to promote you. And uh, that's it's changed a lot. I mean, think of 2016 when we started. You guys were doing your thing then. The formulas were different. The proprietary blends, the just the marketing smoke that was there, right? Uh, it's changed so much and so much for the better, right? So I, I'm glad that we're at where we are now. And direct-to-consumer helps because like they're not all so reliant on getting pinched by retailers too so they have the ability to make better formulas so all of this has been a good thing i think for the industry and then there's less people needing to cut corners like there had been in the past yeah so one of the one of the things that was obviously really really well done were the flavors so without like giving away the farm are you able to kind of explain how's pernova how is it so much better at flavoring than everyone else um couple of things is obviously, like I said earlier, like we actually have people in the lab that were trained as flavorists, such a different, you know, experience versus trying to grab someone who has either technical lab experience or generalist in they just, our starting point is much different than where people come in on top of it. We have an extensive library, obviously from Pernova, right. And we can make, uh, we could just like example being, we could be like, Hey, uh, Ben wants to make a blueberry muffin, right? The issue that you have sometimes is that co-man uses whatever's on the shelf they have available, right? And some may work, some may not, but it's also probably a lot of flavors that are used in other items, right? So they're going to taste either similar or whatnot. So if we have a roadblock, we can actually say, hey, we want a blueberry flavor. Can you make a one size flavor fits all for that? And they'll do that. We'll describe what we need, the notes. We'll give them our base and work parallel with Pernova flavors in our lab. Then they'll create a all-encompassing one flavor that we lock in for a brand and it's designated for them. It's not used for multiple people. So I think that's a, a little bit different. Then also, we're not naive to know we can only use Pernova flavors. Pernova is great. There are you know, our engine and our horse, but at the same time, you know, some people are really strong at citruses, some are this, that, the other. Uh, so we do have uh, three or four other flavor houses that, that we work with. So um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of A, B, and C. So you mentioned that once you create a flavor for a company, it's not used for any other companies and you, well, and you, you can lock it. I remember we, we, you and I have discussed yeah. this previously a little bit, but I think it's definitely an interesting conversation because you make a lot of iconic flavors or you at least manufacture iconic flavors for some big mm. brands that people really love. If someone comes to you and says, I, I want to, I want an Oreo, like, how do you make that different for them? Because yeah. there's obviously you, you had to go, groups. you had to go there, didn't you? I, I'm curious, like how, <laughs> like, like if someone comes to you and says, I want cookies and cream. 
how yeah. do you not use that? You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, like yeah. how does like, cause that's, that's easy, right? Like, like, yeah. is, is there a different twist that you guys put on it? Will you pitch a different type of it? Yeah. And I can't go into some of that extent because we do have a contract on some of that, but like we, what I would say in general is we've done a, a good job in learning with the brands of avoiding that. Right. So we have some very, uh, in some of our contracts, strict obligations to uphold of what we can do. Right. You can't just say like exactly what you said. It's hard to say you, you can't do cookies and cream. Right. That's a basic flavor. Right. Yeah, but yeah, some yeah. of the things that we've done for some of these iconic brands, we cannot use our help aid in that right so um and a lot of times i we, i prefer to just stay away from it like i get you have to do chocolate strawberry vanilla but some of those it's like okay you want a cookies and cream cool oh now you want cookie pieces too that are like oreo now nah, like we're not going there right so those are some of the things we avoid and then some that one's a hard one because it's so generic but there are some that are very specific that we easily can just say no we can't do that right like yeah you know, you know, some of the flavors and that's easier to say, no, that's just one that's tied to someone and we're not going to infringe anything on that. Yeah. Cause there's some of those flavors that are super general and I can imagine like mm -hmm. someone comes to you for cookies and cream. Like we all know what cookies and cream is based on, you know, like, and mm -hmm. so it's gotta, it, that's gotta be a, definitely a hurdle I can see you guys dealing with. Do uh, one thing that's helped. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask like, do some of the brands source their own like cocoa, for instance, like cocoa, you obviously need a, good amount of it in some of these chocolates and i know some of the brands that you work with um have what i consider like some of the best cocoa i've ever tasted i'm not sure mm -hmm. is that them or you or how does that work uh, cocoa uh probably not so much but i definitely would say that some of our big ones do some work now on their own with uh flavor houses inspecting certain flavors and i i think that's smart right like that's you're owning your own ip uh you're you're controlling your destiny so some of them do do that and they'll say hey for this formula, we're using X flavor house product YZ, right? Um, they do that. I wouldn't say Cocos, uh, but sometimes pieces like uh, extruded candy pieces or cookie pieces, they find them and then they want those exclusive. And rightfully so. I think those are things where you can easily say, hey, if you have a crushed X, that's exclusive to you. Okay. Okay. So. There are there a lot of these brands that now uh, control their supply chain and, and not just maybe flavors, but also like ingredients to any of those guys to secure their own ingredients for you guys? Yeah, because like citrulline and creatine got crazy. We talked about it on many episodes since our last mm -hmm. podcast, which was episode 27. So, um, yeah, that's kind of and that seems like it's kind of come down too. So that's yeah, I think uh, how you reacted to that. Yeah, we so we obviously some of the brands we work with are on the larger side, right? Generally, the larger they are, the more they are into their supply chain. But there's different levels. We have some that have a legit supply chain team. They go out to distributors and um, contract volume. And then they tell the co-man to pull off of it, right? We do some of those. But like the point of working with us is we take that stress off of you, right? So we have a customer that does that, but they actually end up using us to go sell their other commands um, because we're, and I say we, you know, Pernova slash Armada. So that's a huge thing they love is like, we get it. You're going to have, you know, if you're so big and you have West coast, East coast, before we had Utah, you're going to have a second command. Let's buy all your citrulline together. You know, your price, let's just say it's $12 a kilo. So Armada um, buys it at $12 a kilo from Pernova. And then your co-man in Arizona or Utah buys it at 12 too. You own that volume. Right. So we do a little bit of that. But I think for us, we've kind of been able to control it more just because of our buying power. But yeah. I, if I was starting a brand, though, uh, a lot of these guys are smarter now. Like, I would definitely want to own a piece of that or at least be touching my hand on it, right? One, knowing the suppliers, the manufacturers you're using. Uh, two, controlling the price. And then on flavors, I would definitely want my hand in there a little bit more than letting it, a co-man actually fully run that. Yeah. I mean, well, as even as, you know, uh, big as armada is i'm sure some of your clients also have to use other contract manufacturers for a variety of reasons and so to be yeah. able to own a piece of that i mean it's got to be really difficult when you know armada makes you the best blue raspberry in the world and then you got to go replicate that somewhere else because you get lead time yeah. better there or something for whatever reason you know i know a lot of people use yeah. different manufacturers so uh, but what I definitely should ask to get us back on track is about this transition to Utah now that you've bought all of this space over there. So mm -hmm. you said I, so everything's going well in Tennessee. You're kind of selling out these lines and it becomes apparent that you got to move to Utah as well. 
did you just decide to get some spot in Utah because it splits the country a little bit better for you guys? I also know that Salt Lake City is a big destination for contract manufacturing yeah. as well. Yeah, it was a couple parts. When we started looking at it, you know, first obligation or first target was just West Coast, right? You want to have West Coast, East Coast. Okay, cool. Then you start zoning in uh, for obvious reasons. We didn't want to be in the state of California. No offense to anyone living in California, but um, just didn't make business sense. Uh, then you started looking at the landscape and Utah for multiple reasons made sense. Obviously, um, geographically, um, great spot. A lot of other co-mans are there. So typically a lot of people's other three P&Ls are in Utah too. So it's going to be easier there. And then the last piece is uh, we're, ve we're very confident that we can be a good employer. So we're going to go into a space that has tons of people that are actually experts in this field. So that was honestly more. The risk is obviously your people can be poached too, right? But you roll the dice. I think we're hopefully going to be offering a great place to work, be competitive. And um, people, you know, it's, it's backed by a bigger company. So we feel confident that we'll put, and it's so far been great. Like we're getting a, a lot of interest, a lot of people from, you know, relative um, other manufacturers that are interested. So that is really why we chose Salt Lake. And then we're literally three, as you'll see, we're three miles from the airport um, nice. and right off, right off of I-80. Awesome. Do you guys do you have uh, do you have a jobs listing or anything like if if so we have a lot of people we actually have a new jobs area in our discord. Um, if someone was a big fan of this industry but doesn't yet uh, have any exposure professionally to it, are there any entry level positions at an armada yep. or and like do you have a jobs board or anything like that that we could share in the uh, show notes? For sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. So armada nutrition.com and then there's a careers page and it has every salaried position listed right there and then um just knowing all sites we're hiring for um warehouse and manufacturing pretty much all the time right so always a job opening um especially in utah um but yeah so um armada nutrition.com careers and then uh yeah we take it from there cool thanks ben you're mu muted I'm muted. I'm so sorry. <laughs> your, your lips are moving. There you go. We get a lot of people asking about careers in the industry, and very rarely do people think to ask about contract manufacturing. I think that could be a, like a huge opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah, we actually got a. Um, I went on uh, what podcast? It was uh, Fuad Abiyad's podcast, and it was in the middle of COVID when we were really struggling for uh, employees, and that podcast i think my hr lady said we got four or five candidates that converted into employees from that podcast so you know exactly that is they're interested in the space and you're in manufacturing why wouldn't you want to be doing something that you actually like right and also it's climate control so our big competitor here is uh general motors like tennessee heat versus being in a you know a building that has to be at relative humidity of 43 percent. so it's not a bad gig yeah, I wanted to ask you if you guys consider humidity when you were looking for your location. I know that you control the climate within the facility, but it's probably got to be a lot easier to control it if it's already a dry area. So much easier, yeah. The, the, diff the amount of money we had to put in the HVAC program in Utah versus Tennessee is significantly different. Obviously, here it's really humid. And uh, yeah, we have to basically pump the air through the GMP area um, once per minute here. And we do not start a job unless the relative humidity is at 43% or less. Basically, once we know we're above 43%, there's a good chance that you're going to see um, moisture, which obviously moisture goes into clumping. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Uh, Utah facility, let us know like size, amount of people. I, I think you had a comparison on the price of the protein mixer versus the original location or something like that. There was a fun analogy that you had when we talked last. Yeah, man, it's wild. Uh it's just it's a really cool thing. This is it's 438,000 square feet. So it's a big building, right? Um, very well done too, right? You learn as you go and how to build it. So it's mezzanine based, all vertical manufacturing. So the actual GMP area is only taken up like 37,000 square feet um, because we're using vertical. So we have so much room to, uh, to grow. And, you know, there's a couple other things we have in our minds. We'd like to eventually do uh, things outside of powders. Um, to kind of diversify our platforms. So it gives us the ability. I mean, if we wanted to throw in, I'm not saying we would, uh, carbonated beverages or RTDs, we have the space to do that. So it's given us a lot of flexibility. Um, we also are using a different blending system, which is really cool. I mean, this is kind of a nerdy thing. So some people would not be interested, but um, we're using a Macon blending system, which is almost more of a pharmaceutical type of blending system. And what that is, is 
they're basically bins, but um, the the more sophisticated part of it is you actually don't, it's all in like basically sealed. It's all in one bin. It's completely sealed. There's no air to it. So what that does means no room gets any kind of potential contamination. So a lot of these have big blenders, big rooms where the air is getting out. Right. So when you go to switch jobs, you actually have to clean that room a full clean then take swabs of different parts of the facility to make sure there's no contamination. Right. Say if you're running something with an allergen or, you know, a different ingredient, whatever it may be, there's always a risk. There's always a risk in this. They're completely consolidated and they're actually done on a charging station and then brought to the line and dropped. And then they go into basically afterwards, like a, a made dishwasher for that bin that isn't done by, you know, a human It's done by this machine cleaned, moved on. So like what I say that is it's obviously much more efficient, but on top of it, um, you know, you have almost zero risk for contamination, which is most people's biggest fear is, is contamination. And then the last piece is you can layer these bins Meaning like a lot of times when you put a blend in, blend in, it just goes. So when you get into like uh, energy drinks or you get into some pre-workouts, you may have some ingredients that are microdosed. Um, really hard to get consistency and, uh, you know, consistent blends. So this, what we can do is we can actually layer the blends as the bins going. So like basically if you have like say B12 or something that's like a pure biotin, you actually layer it in versus uh, putting it in the full bulk. So it definitely helps with um, uniformity and the blends. I might need to see this Monday to understand it better. You will, you will Monday, yeah. Okay, because you, you, yep. you said that it doesn't touch the, it doesn't touch the air, but then you're talking about layering it in. So I I, I was gonna say if if you guys can can run it Monday or at least so I can see it, I'd love to mm -hmm. see what that looks like. You yeah, said everything is everything is vertically fed to through the tube, right? So like you don't have to actually open it up. Um, so like gotcha. everything will come down into it. it, it basically tumbles and blends. Then you basically discharge it. It comes off. Then it goes straight to a bottling line where then you're basically putting it on top, right? Hooking it up and dropping it. So then the, it, you know, there's no contamination in the air. Wow. So it's, it's still going to smell good though. Right. It's the most, every, <laughs> every manufacturing facility I've been through smells amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it smells like chocolate and money. No, I'm just yes. kidding. <laughs> no, we're in contract manufacturing. It doesn't taste like money or smell like money. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. You, you said that you don't know how much people will be interested in blending. I had a viral TikTok a couple of weeks ago of this girl that was blending pre-workout in a ninja blender in her kitchen and then selling it online. Come and, on. Dude. If, if I, I I did this reaction video to it, and I talked about the science that goes into blending, and I had like a hundred comments asking to learn more about blending. So I think there's people out there. I think there's an interest now. It is really awesome. Yeah, definitely. That video had like hey, five, I, over five hundred thousand views, and Ben basically eviscerated this woman. And <laughs> she, I mean, she shouldn't have been selling it online. It was acceptable for home use, maybe if she didn't put any stimulants in it. But um, but yeah, the way, people though, were very interested. Give me her contact. She sounds like an entrepreneur we need at the company. But, <laughs> hey, by the way, this is uh, this is the perks of the job, right? As we're on the podcast, I have uh, Shannon, who's in our R&D, dropping off pre-workout samples to taste. Like, Let's go for if it. If you ever wonder what job you want, this is the job you want, right? <laughs> it smells so good at these facilities. What flavor are you working it's on? Good. What is the actual flavor on that one, Shannon? White citrus. Ooh, nice. So solid no afterwards sorry about that that was literally uh oh, that's, a good, just, uh, that's yeah. a good clip there <laughs> part of the experience yeah. so i mean how do you do you, how, yeah how involved are you personally in some of this stuff are you um like would you send back any feedback or if it was you know like yeah definitely um man i do miss the early days you know when we were you know 100 people and one or two brands i was instrumentally involved in all of the tasting the product formulas you know when you scale to where we are you're, you're not there so sometimes i see things get launched and i'm like shit i wasn't even part of that like what's <laughs> you know kind of almost in a sad way so that part i do miss sometimes um but like for some of our key brands uh that we've had the relationships with i try to taste everything and give honest feedback um you know one of the notable brands you guys know is they're one of the hardest customers um and i, I mean that in the best way is it's probably seven, eight iterations before we actually approve something. But I'm telling you, everything they do, every time they do something, it gets commercialized and it sells, right? So I've always learned in this is be honest, be upfront, right? Flavor is king. So, hey, we might, we're not nailed every time. Just 
be truthful. So we try to be very unbiased because if, you know, that's where you win people over. It's a partnership, not just trying to like sell them something like, oh, this tastes good. Like, let's run it. Well, then it doesn't sell. Let's take the time. Let's do it right. And um, I think that's one thing our customers know from us. We're not afraid to, you know, keep going, keep going. Radiation, radiation. Let's nail this. Let's get it perfect. Because then in return, it, it sells and then we reorder and everyone's happy, right? Yeah, anytime so, I talk with a, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. I wanted to get back to blending, so I'm not sure if, if... Uh, I was just going to say, anytime I talk with a, a new brand, because a lot of uh, brands that are new to contract manufacturing are timid with their contract manufacturers. I, I always, my, my best advice is like, you're paying them, like, and they're going to be yep. delivering a product to you that you can't return. You know, you're getting mm -hmm. thousands of this. You need to remind them that they work for you. You need to, you need to be straight up with them about what you're looking out of the product. You know, it's it it's, should be a, completely as unbiased as possible and objective as possible. If you don't like the flavor, if whatever it is, yep. you got to keep discussing it with them because there's a lot of options in this industry. There's a lot of ways to change things. There's a lot of ways to yeah. work around uh, obstacles. Sound right, Ben. And I think that's a huge piece, right? Like if they don't want to do more iterations for you, like that just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, ultimately you know, someone buys something because of the brand story, but then what the rebuy is all based on the flavor generally. I mean, obviously the feeling and the, you know, the dosage and all that plays into it, but flavor truthfully is probably king. Right. And so it blows my mind when I've heard this so many times that people just want to do first pass approvals. It's not good for anybody. So if someone kind of fights you on that, I think you're definitely awesome for a second. He may have hung up his phone. Oh, oh there, there we go. We lost it for a second. We lost for a second. Yeah. No, I just said like at the end of the day is like if you do have a contract manufacturer that is, you know, wants you to approve something the first time and kind of move on, you're probably at the wrong place. And that's coming from a guy who employs flavorists who actually like know what they're doing. Yeah. Too, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, I it just it's it just it, it returns right in the back end. If you nail it, they're going to be reordering that skew in larger volume. So I just it, like if you're looking at a short term transactionally, I think you have a wrong view of it. The long term play is the way to go. And it makes life way easier. And it's more fiscally um, viable that way. Yeah. And especially like with the clients that you deal with, I, I'm sure you can especially understand that because your relationships are all very long term. I'm sure most of your clients are looking for certificates. They're looking for uh, <clears throat> different assurances of quality uh, and testing. And uh, it actually, that is one thing I actually wanted to, to bring up is that you guys have some sort of in-house third party testing setup, which I've always been very curious about how that works as well. But I do want to yeah. get back on the blending a little bit with, with whatever Mike was going to ask. Well, it was going to lead into testing. So let's do that. I guess. So my question was, let's say um, in Tennessee and Utah may be different, but I wanted to geek out a little bit. Let's say I have a, a pre-workout supplement, bunch of powder, 400 milligrams or a high caffeine supplement that's got maybe three milligrams of alpha yo. So it's going to be pretty strong. How do you avoid having hot spots? Like a lot of people were interested in that video about the blending. So mm -hmm. how do you, you know, caffeine yeah. isn't that much. So how do you make sure there's yeah. not a big old dose of caffeine in one scoop? Great, great questions. And obviously caffeine is one of the things you got to fear the most. Right. And, um, what we do is, uh, one, you, all, the blending instructions need to be very specific because some things don't need to be blended as long as others. Some need more time. Right. So, uh, we have an engineer team that basically when we go to commercialize something, we'll do blend instructions and we'll do some scale ups, right. To verify and validate that they actually were doing this correctly. So then when it gets past that point, it's been tested. It's fine. It goes into first production. We actually test multiple times. We obviously pass, test the raw materials coming in. Okay, cool. That's assay. Then we obviously blend and we do uh, the um, end of blend, goes to the lab, validates. Then we actually take beginning, middle, end of each run on each lot size to validate as well. And then when the product is run, um, it goes on hold. For five days until we actually, you know, we actually get the assay off of each beginning, middle, end tub to validate that we're hitting within spec of those materials. So we've had them before, right? Where off the blend, caffeine came in, say low or high, right? So you're going to actually have to, if, if you can, reblend, um, put more in, and build. Basically, a lot of times you'll have to build out the volume bigger to, you know, extend it and get it within realm or whatnot very rare but you're gonna if you're doing what you should do you're catching it before it even goes in a bottle you're catching it at the blend spot so something uh i, I want to i maybe even double it down even further like one of your favorite pro one of my favorite products that you guys manufacture uses uh raw wolfia like a, like an alpha yo like that's something that mm -hmm. you know you're trying to get like literally one milligram per scoop you know yeah like, 
what is your allowed overage on that? Because like how how close to one milligram can you really get? That's that's got to be ridiculously tough to be able to get throughout the entire mixture. It's wild, right? A lot of times you use carrying agents on those too. So you'll bulk them up uh, potentially like uh, maltodextrin or something to carry it to make okay. it a little bit easier, right? So a lot of times you'll do a pre-blend with those ingredients, bulk it up and then blend it. And then you pre-blend it. Um, a lot of times what you don't want to do is break the ingredient down. So something like that may come into the actual blend at a later point. And it's obviously bulked as well too. So there's different methods on what they are. That's a good one. Alpha Yo is more that, you know, very small dosages. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of, even some of them are at 20, you know, 25 milligrams, uh, which is still relatively small. So yeah, there's, there's, it's all about the blend instructions. And then if they're really small, we're generally carrying on a bulk, some sort of bulking agent to carry it and extend it. So if you did that bulking agent, I, I don't know if you're probably the right person to ask this, but tell me if you're not. You add that maltodextrin to the blend with, with say, Alpha Yo. Does that maltodextrin get labeled next to the Alpha Yo on the label? Or is that because it's d- dosed at higher, it's going to be somewhere else in the blend? Or it, does that technically even need, need to be in there if it's a bulking agent? Yeah, it depends, obviously, the level it is. Maltodextrin has a different level of, of basically efficacy that you'd have to put on the label. Generally, it'd be probably smaller than the need. But in theory, if the bulking agent would go with how much is delivered on the label to it. Um, so, and, but also you got to remember a lot of times maltodextrin is used on the flavor carrying systems too. So it's already in there. So it's just kind of adding on. So generally it doesn't move because how much you're putting in on something that's carrying is very small where the flavor actually carries a bit of maltodextrin. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, like usually so, in the other ingredients area. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. And that's a lot of times people wonder where the carbs come from. Right. And it's, it's the flavor. But the, it's not the actual flavor, it's the carrier because they spray dry them. And when they spray dry them, they put them on a carrier. Um, and generally it's non-GMO uh, malto or something like that, you know, so. So all the flavors start as liquids that have to be spray dried or most of them do? Yeah, powdered, spray dried. And then because uh, you obviously need to carry them, so they spray dry. And for shelf life, you want um, them spray dried as well, too. Um, it extends shelf life. So, yeah, and that's what's great is Pernova actually has large spray dryers on site as well, too. But, yeah, so in maltodextrin typically is the one. So people always like – question we always get is why does this have carbs? And people get confused because right now there's the BCA thing. Does, is it carbs? Is it not carbs? But before that, people are like really confused on why something has four or seven grams of carbs. Um, but, yeah, the more a lot of times the more flavor you put in, too. So some of the things with a lot of flavor – they have more flavor, which means they have more maltodextrin, which means they potentially have more carbs. Is there a difference between natural and artificial flavors in terms of that too? Like if it's real from a real strawberry, I assume there might be a smidge more carbohydrate or not as powerful. It, it, it very minute on that. Oh, yeah, not okay. as much. Yeah. I had one other question and I forget. So ben, you, <laughs> yeah, we're learning a ton here. This is a lot of stuff that I think end users would love to hear. So thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. I'm so, a nerd, so I'd love to talk about this. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny. Uh, a lot of people are not interested in the manufacturing supplements until they start to get a taste of it. Like when you start to see like how all these things are put together that you consume every single day, you're like, wow, there are so many variables to this. There are so many things that could mm-hmm. go wrong. Um, and so learning from someone who probably dealt with a decent amount of things going wrong and having to troubleshoot that because there isn't like an instruction yeah. manual for most of this, you know, at least that's my uh, <laughs> experience. <laughs> yeah. It's, you can't, uh, Google our, uh, S, uh, sorry, uh, what uh, what to do when something uh, doesn't validate on a blend, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess how many times is like, let's say I have a standard pre-workout, real basic, like 300 milligrams caffeine, citrulline, beta alanine, creatine, betaine, whatever. Um, how many how many lab tests does this thing actually go through before it gets into my belly? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's that's. I mean, it obviously does depend, but if you look at it from the way we we manufacture, every raw will get tested up front so that's one test mm-hmm. then you go into the blending process you get a test off of blend and then it goes into gmp where it's bottled and then we'll take a batch size which is generally a few thousand bottles beginning we'll take 10 bottles middle we'll take 10 bottles and we'll take 10 bottles and then assay them as well too so you really have gone through three check marks right there that uh before it gets to you, right? Then some companies take it to an extreme and they'll even get another test, right? So Ben, I think mentioned we have a third-party lab. Some companies will send them out to a third party, right? The, the, basically the manufacturer will only do a certificate of analysis. They won't do full in-depth testing. 
So in 2018, we decided to uh, branch off and start our own lab. So it's, it's, although here it's not technically under the LLC of Armada, they actually don't even report into me. Um, so technically we're testing at a third party lab and they'll do full, right? Anything from micros, assay, protein content, so on and so forth. They're doing the full panel. Um, and that's another layer. Yeah. Are, I was they, also- are they open for business? If I were to send them a, a, some mayonnaise, would they do a fatty acid test on it? Or is that, this is just for supplements? <laughs> Uh, just supplements uh, oh, okay. right now. Mm-hmm. This is something I would love to learn at some point. But I do get a lot of people who uh, pull stuff off the shelf and send it to me and say, hey, can you test this? <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, yeah, we may or may not need to know more about how that works for people because we've had a lot of questions yeah. about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can say this industry is getting better and better each year, though. That's what's nice to see. Like, I remember when we first started, people pull stuff off and, you know, more tendency or not that things weren't necessarily hitting claim. And it seems like that's happening less and less these days. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I asked about overages before, like that's another thing that I think is starting to get better. Like previously we had people just screwing up, just not m- making yep. a claim at all. But I think mm-hmm. actually properly manufacturing things to the point where, you know, there are proper overages. Like I joke that there are products that I take and I can feel the beta alanine and I haven't felt beta alanine in years. And there are other products that clearly like they did not care yep. about the quality of that manufacturing. Um, yep. And so th- that's that's how I usually can tell when I take a pre-workout, whether or not I can actually feel the beta alanine for some reason for me. I, and I also you probably know you probably noticed, too, is what I've seen in some of these like hardcore up and coming brands um they are inconsistent too like one batch you're feeling the beta alanine like you're ready to you know rub your eyes out and the next time you can't feel it right so that always makes me wonder too is the consistency right so that seems to be a big thing yeah i i'd love to ask your your thought process on this i'm sorry to cut you off i have so many questions i know Uh, me too okay mine's pretty quick what level uh at what point does something fail? Like if I have 3.2 grams of beta alanine on my label, where do you fail it? Like, yeah. So there's there, you know, every ingredient has a little bit of a different story to it based on assay, but generally 10% you can have within label claim. So if you have 3.2 grams, you you know, that's actually still 300 milligrams wiggle room, which I think is absurd to be honest. But what we do is we obviously potency adjust off of any assay. And then we generally do a 10%, um, overage so i had in the beginning another contract manufacturer uh yes he did yeah he's the owner um send me an email and goes like wtf what are you doing one of our brands got pulled off the shelf and was being very complimented about the fact that it actually had a gram and a half more protein than was on the label and i'm like yeah it's 25 grams we put in the 10 percent overage that's kind of you know, but it was like, then people are asking him questions. They should be at that level and it costs more money. Right. So a lot of brands is like, you literally, they'll deliver, you know, 25 grams, especially you guys know the pricing of protein, 25 grams delivered versus 27.5 grams. It's a good chunk of the person's margin. Like people think, you know, contract manufacturers don't make crazy margin, right? It's a volume game. So if you're making an actual margin, 60, 70 cents a bottle, that two and a half grams you're delivering in there cuts a big chunk of your margin. So people are tempted to do put the you know status quo, right? And what happens? Protein can degrade, right? That's part, part of why you put it at overage in. Uh, a 90% uh, weight uh, protein isolate from one manufacturer may be actually 86 on dry. One might be an 89. So you know we have the spec set up by manufacturer, not even by product. And I'm not saying like, hey, we do everything perfect. That's not trying to get on a high horse, but like we take it very serious. It's like not every protein is even like for like. So somebody may buy Leprino uh, whey protein isolate, then they buy milk specialties. The on dry assay is different between those two companies. So if you're formulating, you would actually have to formulate them different. Some companies in their ERP system just put it as WPI 90, no matter who. We've gone to the level, and this is what man, uh, brands love is the item code is by manufacturer. So then we can even show you our master manufacturing records and say, hey, hey, Ben, here's your protein. It'll show you the part number, which shows you which manufacturer protein we use, not just some generic code. I love that. I love that. So, yeah. 
do you guys ever mix batches like a little bit of mixed uh, milk specialties and other one? Like, like would that would ever be an issue, or would you like that, uh, that could be an issue? Hundred percent not, unless we told ask the brand for a specific reason. Reason being is taste profiles are different, right? Right. Um, but we do do this. We have a we have a protein that has a WPI, WPC, uh, and a WPH. The WPH does come from a different origin. So WPI, WPC, same manufacturer, WPH is actually different. But when we built the prototype out, we did it that way, right? The biggest issue that people have is you make it in a lab and you use freaking whatever's on there, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. It's milk specialties today because they're cheap on price. Then you go to manufacturer, milk specialties has no product. So you just throw in uh, whoever, right? I wish sometimes we weren't this way, but we are overly uh, anal on protein. We have three manufacturers we use we have a priority list and unfortunately each manufacturer is tied to a brand so when the freaking protein problems happened last year i literally like i was it looked like i was building out a uh, a formula to build a uh, airplane trying to figure out how much i needed for each person because each person had a different manufacturer and we can't just use generic right so i mean the Great thing is high quality, but sometimes it becomes hard too, right? So I get why sometimes people probably don't go to that level because it becomes more complex. I hate to tell you this, but after we publish this podcast, you're going to have more than three uh, whey protein companies contacting you for sure. But I think like it's interesting. People would like this though, right? There's different types of cheese too, right? So um, as everyone knows, but that's where obviously whey is made from. So Luprino, who we really do like, I'm very vocal about that. They are a hundred percent mozzarella, and I'm not saying mozzarella is better. Whatever I am saying is they're a hundred percent. So everything we get in from Laprino is a hundred percent consistent. So when we add our flavor system, there's no variable, right? Cool. So that's one been a huge reason why we pushed Laprino is because we know when it comes in the door, what the color and the color too, right? It's very white, and that's what consumers notice: taste and color. So that's kind of our our setup. Yeah. So uh, still on the topic of like overages and quality manufacturing, but not as much protein. You talked about before, like hardcore brands coming up uh, and something that I've been talking about a lot recently. And I don't know your thought process on this. So you might completely disagree with me, which is exciting. But uh, and and you have something up behind your head, which I, th- I think is probably an interesting topic for this. But these huge scoop pre-workouts that are coming out that are like large, large dosages of different things. Do you believe that that's where things are going? Like, what are you seeing in the industry in terms of these like mega scoop pre-workouts and and how do you think they're going to compare going forward with these like daily drivers, like these simpler products that, you know, are probably based more around synergy rather than mega dosing. How are you guys dealing yep. with this and, and how, how do you see it? There's, yeah, you, I, this would be a great conversation for us to have next week, Ben, too, because uh, I love where the industry is going. The open formulas and the correct dosages are great. So all for that, right? You know, a 30 gram pre-workout, if done right, is good. But I think sometimes it's like we're getting to the point of no return. And also, like, you're getting where you're throwing in so much stuff and then you're throwing in so many acids to cover the flavor that, like, I mean, people are legitimately going to have stomach issues from what they're digesting before a workout. So I feel like we've almost are getting to that point where we're tipping over and it's like becoming too extreme, right? Caffeine is a different topic, right? There's 200, there's 300, there's 400. I've seen some even more. I think that's a personal preference. I don't really try to classify that in its own own book, but um, I think even that to some level, if you need 450 or 500 milligrams of caffeine before you, every pre-workout, you probably need to like get yourself together a little bit more. I, I think, uh, I, so I, I've done lots of caffeine in the past, but not every workout. I think that was an important distinction that you made. It's like, that's exactly. Time, yeah. Like I'm sure you yeah, have I mean, a lot of caffeine throughout the day. You just took a little sippy cup of probably hundred milligrams right there. And that didn't phase yeah. you, you know, like, so I think that's important, but I think what I see is like, uh, like I'm not against big doses of things, but when you start to combine a whole bunch, like, like I think pump is probably the easiest category to talk about this with. Like mm-hmm. you see like an arms race of citrulline. Uh, yep. And I, I love citrulline. I love big doses of citrulline. I talked about a, a study the other day that showed 10 grams is kind of like where it starts to dive off in terms of more. But then you throw in more nitrosgene and pine bark extract and grapeseed extract and some arugula for nitrates. And all of a sudden you got like 17 right. different nitric oxide boosters. And I personally think that there's like a, a point of no return with pump where I, yeah. I can't I can't flex my muscles anymore. <laughs> 
And I, I just, yeah, I, I agree. These prices are going up so crazy. And I'm, I, it's, you know, you were talking about like your, your contract manufacturer that doesn't smell like money. Like I can only imagine with, with that yeah. much going on, uh, your margins are probably quickly disappearing. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of an issue. I mean, I love the higher cost formulas generally, but like we got to a point where too is uh, they become so expensive and, you know, it might be a small brand that's direct to consumers. They can make some margin, but the way the contract manufacturing works is it's generally, you're not pricing it out on a percentage of gross margin. There's kind of a threshold of what brands will allow you to make per like category. Right. So for pre-workout, it could be X dollars per unit. So when they were $7 a unit, you're making, you know, let's just say $1, right. Now they're 20 and you're still making $1. So, I mean, your whole return on invested capital is just going to the shitter. So like, we've seen a little bit of that. So they're like, there is kind of a balance between the two doing efficacious and being good formulas versus like just, and then the consumer, I mean, who, who can pay $70 for a pre-workout, a very small, I mean, I would say a smaller population, right? Yeah. Who wants to, right? Who like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, like it's become like a meme of, of going into GNC and walking out with 17 different products, right? Like there's your whole stack has to be a certain amount. There's more of the life than just pre-workout and protein. At least there's mm-hmm. more to fitness. And uh, if, if your pre-workout all of a sudden is $70, that used to be the cost of your pre-workout, your protein, and your multivitamin. Yeah, 100%. 100% yeah. So I think like it, the last five years have changed so much. And I think it'll come back down. I think some of these companies uh, that are just coming out with those, like that's their flagship to come out with. They don't have a brand so that they're going to try to do kind of a shock factor. And then what happens, right? I think some of the brands... Um, couple of the ones have added that as a category. And I think that's fine because they just want to make sure they're not losing potentially a demographic that's going to 400 milligrams of caffeine. So they're adding that in, you know, and that's what I've seen kind of, I think be more successful. They, the formula kind of stays a little bit the same and they do an extreme version of the caffeine so that they don't lose that, you know, younger demographic typically who, you know, they got to have 400 milligrams of caffeine. I'm just happy they're not putting DMHA in it for a lot of these. I, I Actually, just just for clarity, my phone right now, because I'm uh, obviously a, a broke contract manufacturer, is resting on a in a uh, very well-known brand's extreme version of their pre-workout. So they were one of the ones who decided to do it. So that is my uh, my mount for my phone right now. <laughs> I think I know which one. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Mike, right, so- I know you got a bunch. Well, no, yeah. So I don't know how much time you have. We're about at the end of our hour, but like we can talk yeah. forever about this. Um, so as your business grows, and we talked, we were talking about protein before. Have you ever considered, and this might be out of left field, but have you ever considered going vertical in terms of like dairy, dairy refining or manufacturing, even like owning the dairy farm itself to get away from having to rely on other suppliers? Has that yeah. ever been a thought? Or yeah, that's a great question, Mike. And uh, you know, I think that is so. I didn't say this in the whole story, but in 2019, uh, we were proud that we sold a majority of the company to a company called Nagasi, who's um, basically all close to a $10 billion strategic uh, company. So they bought us to get into food and to nutrition. So it's not a PE company, right? Why I say that is that's exactly the things we're exploring now is, hey, we got Utah going. We want to develop more platforms. We don't want to just do powders. Is it gummies? Is it RTDs? Is it carbonate i'm not you know throwing ideas out there but the other thing is so that you have horizontal uh integration and you have vertical right so we need to go more horizontal to have more things to offer and then vertical is another option right we have the ingredients we have the flavors but there's some products key products like proteins potentially there's things like agglomeration there's some other things that yeah that's options so we are kind of in a, a point of where we got utah going and we're going to be looking at our next five years where we can grow. And something you said like that is an opportunity, right? Also, trademark companies, things like that. I think it's things we want to look at. We want to have more innovation and more science. It's just like the big CPG companies. Sometimes they can't necessarily innovate fast enough, right? So they buy companies. I think we're looking at maybe we want to be more innovative. And we, you know, uh, one of these companies who develops science-based ingredients, that might be interesting too. So don't have a set plan, but I can tell you we're looking to go vertical and horizontal as we grow. Speaking of that, that trademark ingredient stuff, you guys have a few like uh, Citropeak comes to mind that, you know, we've seen out there, not necessarily like being pushed super hard, but it does exist out there. Yeah. Is that right? 
is that something that you guys focus on? Is it like like Citra Peak as as a as a brand for you guys? You know, not enough. And I think that's one of the things we're honestly um, really considered doing is getting more into that. Right? We want to add more value. We want to be a stickier partner. So I think we got to be real with ourselves. We are who we are. Uh, we have Citra Peak, honestly, just because when Nagasi bought us, they were the ones who actually had it, and we're like, damn, this actually has some good clinicals. It has some, you know, really good things we could use. Let's plug it, right? But I think what we're realizing is that we really want to do it. Like, you know, let's just say that you have these, you know, Nutrition 21 companies like that. We can't do what they do and be as fast and as good and have that. So I think that's one of the opportunities potentially try to find either through partnership JV or um, acquisition down the road. Because we want to go to our brands and be like, hey, we, we've done it so far with the ingredients and flavors. We offer more how can we offer even more? Right. And then also being a brainstorming session and the point of like, basically like um, being able to develop products for companies being ingredients. Right. So if brand X says, Hey, this category is missing an ingredient. And we go to a, I say, I'm just using nutrition 21 for an example, go to them and say, here's the kind of a category we're missing. What can we do? What could we, you know, we need a partner in that we can't do it ourselves. Yeah, we'll have to reconvene after this call and talk about that. We've got, I got a couple ideas for you. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot of opportunities out there. I, 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 I've been a big fan of Citra Peak. I've only used it in RTD, but I'd like to see it out there a little bit more. I think that, uh, and you guys also have smooth proteins as well. If I'm, yeah, correct. and that's one we inherited. Yeah, smooth proteins, correct. Um, that kind of came through Compound Solutions at one point to us, and then uh, yeah, Citra Peak is one of those. I think like. I don't know if we, we don't know how to necessarily market correctly yet. Right. And with Armada, we just try to be strategic on a couple of brands, which isn't probably the best thing. So you need to have a kind of a network to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to sell ingredients and be able to uh, create an innovative ingredients is a whole bunch of different skill sets, which you guys have a load of different communities, but that, there are people yeah. who are like, like you said, like compound solutions, nutrition 21, like that's what they do. Every that's what they time. do. Yeah. yeah, I can't keep we can't keep up with them. They're experts in that. So, but I'm very interested in what they do, and I think it could add a ton of value for Pronova and Armada. So, those are things where, you know, in our next year five five year planning, we got to figure out how we, you know, get that in the portfolio. Cool. Well, I know we're coming up on the end of the hour, and I, I know you got a lot of things to do before you fly out to Utah. So, uh, Mike, do you have any other questions before we uh, head out? Uh, we have to do this again, maybe even quarterly, twice a year, something like that, just uh, yeah. even to get general business updates and everything. I, this has been an awesome podcast, I think, uh, and I really appreciate your time. So, yes, I do have more questions, but no, we can, we can save them for later. <laughs> um, really excited to, to see the tour in Utah and everything. So congratulations yeah. on your success. No, thanks, guys. And appreciate like uh, what you guys do. You obviously try to work with the, you know, the good brands and be transparent. So I think it goes all, you know, we all benefit from each other. So happily talk shop anytime. I'm a nerd. This is what I do. You know, it's, uh, it's fun. So, Hey, can I make one plug? Actually? I can't believe I'm saying this. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. Uh, so we have the grand opening in Utah, but when we get done with supply side West, uh, I have a gym that I own in Franklin and we're reopening. We bought a bigger site. We're reopening it after we remodel it in the next five days. And we have uh, a Chris Bumstead event with the raw nutrition team on November 4th. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to go, um, it's uh you get it's a Q and A with the raw team, Don, Matt, and Chris. Um, shirt pre workout that's exclusive for Nashville, and uh, you know should be a pretty badass event in a you know small niche place. Probably Chris's last appearance before the Olympia, not for sure, but likely. So uh, that's November fourth. Awesome. Is there something? Uh, do you have any images we can share on social media or something we can snatch from you? Yeah, I will forward you guys over the. Uh, the um banner we have and then with the link for eventbrite but i think it should be an awesome event and then we're pretty excited the gym is uh you know um it's more of a passion project probably sometimes than it is a business but um we have 80 new pieces of uh top line equipment coming in there over the next week and you know our goal is to make this the mecca of tennessee what day is that november 4th friday Oh man. Okay. I wish I could make that. I have, hey, uh, who says you can't? I've got a panel on supply side on Friday. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll fly over for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a shame you can't, but it, it'll be, it's going to be good. So yeah, I'll send you guys some stuff on it. Yeah. I was just saying, I'm, I'm kicking myself for not having the, I actually have the tub here. I, I should have had it for the video, but uh, super cool. Oh, stuff. Did, you, did you taste it? Yeah, it's good. It? It's good. Yeah. It's awesome stuff. You like lemonade. It's good. I'm, I'm loving the, just the way that, 
uh, Savage is able to play with so many different brands and different flavors and stuff right now. It, I, I love the collaboration that you guys did with that. Yeah, I mean, I think Ghost and them did it first, right? And it was a pretty freaking cool thing to see two brands actually uh, uh, not be enemies, come together, build a cool-ass product, and then have a great event. So, yeah, you know, we're just kind of glad to be part of that. So it should be exciting. And I love that Chris is just so – his uh, humility is great. You know, I <laughs> – the name of the we wanted to do a nashville flavor and we wanted to call it smashville well we're like that's you know potentially it's a trademark infringement so uh it is now smackville <laughs> so <laughs> plays into the whole favage series right yeah i love it and I, he he told me that uh he's going to keep doing it because so many people reach out and thank him for like making light of the lisp because the other people have lists yeah. and they were uh you know self-conscious about it and that, i don't think a lot of i don't think enough people talk about that that aspect of it which is really cool for sure i mean you know he has every reason to be confident and then just i think that just makes people feel a lot better about it it's pretty cool they played into it he dude he has does not care at all which is is just pretty pretty damn cool cool so i i guess uh, i'll see you in utah and supply side but uh until next time we'll have to find some time to come do this uh in person i think we could have some really cool content yeah i want you guys to check out the new gym too so oh uh, yeah kind of two birds one stone Cool. Nashville, uh, Armada, and then Carbon. Well, we'll find out when Mike's free, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll get down there. Yeah, we'll all wear gray Sound shirts good. like we are here, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got I got to get you guys the Carbon shirts, okay? Oh, so, nice. Yes, yeah. yeah. Please send us something, dude. Your your clothing is actually the Carbon clothing is actually really nice. Yeah, we got some new hoodies. I will actually send me your guys' address, your office address, and we'll we'll get that sorted. Cool, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brent. Much appreciated. All right, guys. Take care.